When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, two quick questions before we get into tonight's stories. As usual, they relate to the stories, so here we go. First question is, what would you do if you saw what you believed to be a UFO crash close enough to you to where you could go investigate it, if you will? Would you do it? Would you report it to the proper authorities? Would you call the news? I mean, what would you do? Me personally, I don't think I would investigate. I'm a very nervous person, and that sounds like something I don't want to get involved in. However, and this relates to the second question, what would you do for 10 grand? Just a simple question. Would you investigate the alien spaceship for ten grand? Would you do something borderline illegal for ten grand? Or a hundred grand? Let me know in the comments section below where your morality stands when it comes to ten thousand dollars. I would love to hear where you are. While you're thinking about that, be sure to enjoy tonight's stories. A strange object fell from space. There it was. A fragment of the universe hurtling through the cosmos. And there I was, gazing up from the comfort of a farmhouse rooftop built by my father's hands, smack dab in the middle of nowhere. In all the years we lived out here on the countryside, not a damned thing remarkable ever happened. This meteor shower was the highlight of my entire life, and that's why, with a bit of wonder glazed over my eyes, I was captivated by that one falling rock brighter than the rest. I wanted so badly to reach out and touch it. Almost as if in answer to my plea, the meteor took a U-turn and fell from the sky like a falcon diving for its prey. I watched, astonished, as it passed overhead and crashed into the wooded area behind my dad's property. Surprisingly, there was no sound, no explosion, just the rustling of tree leaves as it plummeted through the forest's canopy. To make matters more peculiar, I swear I saw a red glow emanating from the crash site, however faint. After the initial shock wore off, I climbed down from the roof and raced into the woods as fast as my scrawny legs would allow. I had a rough idea of where the thing landed, so I darted in that direction, hoping I could take home a chunk of space rock as a souvenir to show my father. If I was lucky, it'd be a treasure, thrilling enough to keep him from getting mad that I went off to the woods by my lonesome. I could only hope. Eventually, I came to a small clearing, where the moonlight gently caressed the earth, granting me a somewhat clearer picture of the floor and fauna around me. 
I noticed many small animals frantically scurrying north for no discernible reason. I surmised that the meteor's landing frightened the wildlife nearby, and so I decided to head off in the opposite direction. Sure enough, after maybe ten minutes or more of my impromptu hike through the wilderness, I came upon the source of the mysterious glow I'd seen before. It was no meteor. There, sitting in a small depression in the ground, was a small metallic pod of sorts, complete with a blinking beacon protruding from its surface like an antenna. The craft itself was spherical, and at least twice my height. I'd never seen anything like it before. It was utterly dumbfounded. Before I could take a closer look, a hatch opened up from its side, startling me back into the woods. With a racing heart, I scuttled behind the nearest tree. I cautiously positioned my head around the trunk and spied on the object with bated breath. I didn't know what to expect. Was it some kind of top-secret military weapon or perhaps a remote-controlled gadget built by a genius hermit living nearby? Would a little green man step out to greet me, demanding to speak with my leader? No matter the outcome, my eyes were glued to that metallic pond for better or for worse. A dark violet ooze spilled from the object, forming a large puddle at its base. A slimy substance then scaled the pod, coating the exterior from top to bottom. As the slime moved around the sphere, the light above stopped blinking. All at once, the purple liquid was repelled from the craft and back onto the ground below. There it began taking on a more humanoid shape. As the ooze changed, so too did its color. It became white and fuzzy, not unlike television static. Appropriately enough, TV and radio dialogue soon filled the forest. This thing was collecting signals from thin air, regurgitating lines from popular programs long since broadcast. At least, that's what it appeared to be doing. My mouth agape in awe, I began leaning forward without realizing it. The signals ceased abruptly, and I fell headfirst into a pile of dead branches, creating a loud crunch. From my new vantage point, I watched the white figure turn to my direction. I then heard it speak. Who's there? Its voice was shaky and unnatural, a low, monotone growl, coupled with a harsh reverb. Scared for my life, I picked myself up and ran back home faster than I had ever run before. I reclaimed my perch on the roof and carefully surveyed the property. Once I was sure I hadn't been followed, I hopped through my bedroom window and climbed into bed, hoping that I dreamt the whole thing up, an adventure concocted by my imagination running wild. I wished it were that simple, but wishful thinking rarely plays out in one's favor. The following day, I came downstairs to the familiar aroma of eggs and bacon. My father always cooked up a hearty breakfast on Sundays. The sight I was greeted with upon entering the dining room, however, was anything but familiar. There, sitting at the table across from my father, was a man in a clean-cut suit wearing a bowler hat and a striped tie. 
We rarely entertained visitors, so I was more than a little perplexed. Son, this is Mr. Grovewood. His car broke down a couple miles up the road, so he's going to be staying with us for a few nights, just until he can get things sorted out. How do you do, sport? I remained silent, perturbed by the man's presence and still shaken from the previous night. He's paying us a generous sum to stay here, so you best treat him with respect. My dad glared at me in a way that effectively relayed his meaning. As such, I complied. Uh, I'm well, sir. Thanks for asking. The man smiled, albeit awkwardly, and I ran off outside to tend to the farm. I don't know why, but I'd suddenly lost my appetite. Something just wasn't adding up. How did this stranger find the farm after his car broke down? We were literally surrounded by forest. Dumb luck, perhaps? Doubtful. I was beginning to feel that his appearance the day after the thing landed in the woods wasn't a mere coincidence, but this wasn't a theory I had enough nerve to explore. After all, I'd already convinced myself that the previous night's events were nothing more than a bad dream. The man would be gone in a few days either way, so I tried not to dwell on it. The next couple of nights were bizarre. Mr. Grovewood attempted to watch a sitcom with us while eating dinner, but his reactions were less than normal. He seemed confused by the program and would only laugh after he noticed us laughing. And This wasn't any laughter, mind you. It was a loud guffaw of intensely uncomfortable proportions. I was almost relieved when he got pulled away by a phone call from a business colleague, though I didn't hear a single word exchanged. The following night, I walked downstairs to the kitchen for a glass of milk, only to find Mr. Grovewood chowing down on a raw steak from the freezer. I asked him about it, and all he said was, It's just a little midnight snack. Trust me, a little color does the body good. Needless to say, I ran back to my room in a hurry without my milk. The last night, however, is when I became truly afraid. Walking past the guest room to get to the bathroom, I overheard Mr. Grovewood on the phone. This time, he most certainly spoke. Did you receive the information I transmitted? Yes, this is the language we must use from here on out. We must avoid suspicion and blend in with the rest. It's a lovely place. Rich in minerals, water, and life forms. You and the others are going to like it here. So long as you're ready. There's no going back from here. This will be our new home. No need. Why waste the material on transports when I can beam you down instantaneously? I have two vessels here, ripe for the taking. I dug up a grave for $10,000. I graduated from high school a few years back. I still live with my parents, but I'm using this time to my advantage. They're kind enough not to charge rent, and that allows me the ability to save up almost every penny I make. The hope is that one day I can start up a small but legitimate business and move into my own apartment. 
you know, the American dream. You see, much to my parents' dismay, I don't have a steady job. I prefer to take a DIY approach and be my own boss. I buy and resell things online and take up odd jobs here and there to supplement my income. With the help of social media and Craigslist, I'm able to regularly mow lawns in spring and summer, rake leaves in autumns, and shovel driveways in winter. Eventually, I'll have enough to buy a decent car and reach clients outside of town and maybe even hire a few lackeys. What I'm here to share with you, however, is an incident that occurred almost two years ago. One that keeps me on edge to this day. In my first year of business, I introduced a flower delivery service. Depending on the season, I'd either pick flowers from around town or buy them from the local florist, then deliver them to a person in my client's choosing. Though it wasn't my most popular service, it did bring in some good money. You'd be surprised at how much folks are willing to pay to woo a loved one with plants. And all the time that I biked flowers back and forth from person to person, I only ever picked up one regular. His name was Red, and he was absolutely infatuated with his girlfriend, Clara. Once a month, I deliver a dozen roses to the local hotel where she worked. No matter how many times I went over there with the same bouquet, she always acted surprised and delighted to no end. They really did have something special, and I was happy to be a part of their lives, at least in some small way. But then, February rolled around. Albeit my least popular odd job, I do gain a little traction during the Valentine's season. Along with the additional customers, Red goes all out and has me deliver three bouquets on the week leading up to the holiday. Between these deliveries and keeping up with my usual services, February beats the hell out of me. This particular Valentine's week was a little different. It was getting close to the big day, and I hadn't received a single order from Red. I usually don't get attached to my clients, but I was quite fond of Red and Clara. Because of this, I decided to reach out to him. I tried calling him. No dice. Nothing but dial tones and voicemail. I thought about writing over to the hotel to ask Clara about it, but... That would cut into the rest of the work I'd lined up for the day. With no viable options to me, I simply went about my day and kept a positive mindset. Something felt off, but I was sure it was nothing to worry about. The next day, Red called back. He was fine, but there was something he wanted to discuss with me. Of all the phone conversations I've ever had... This one tops the list for the most bizarre. Red hadn't ordered any flowers because he was getting ready to pop the question to Clara. He wanted the lack of gifts that week to leave her confused and then catch her completely off guard on Valentine's Day by asking for her hand in marriage. I was happy for them, but that's when the conversation took an unexpected turn. Red didn't have a ring. He was wealthy and could afford whatever jewelry he wanted, but not just any engagement ring would suffice. He wanted his mother's ring, the one his father proposed with. It was the only one he felt was fitting, the only one worthy enough to be wrapped around her finger. There was just one problem. His mother was buried with it. 
And then came the weird part. Red offered me $10,000 in cash to dig up his mother's grave and retrieve the ring from her dead finger. He said that he'd do it himself, but he didn't have the nerve. He couldn't bring himself to defile the gravesite like that. He wasn't exactly comfortable with me doing it either, but he truly felt this was the only way he could propose to his one true love. I pleaded with the guy. I really did. I told him to go to Jared's. I mean, women love rings from Jared's. Seriously, but alas, he wouldn't budge on the matter. And whether it was the allure of money that I could use to expand my business or the desire to help out a desperate friend in need, I grudgingly accepted the job. I'm not going to make any excuses here. I know you think I'm crazy for doing it. And yes, I most certainly was. I know this now. Hell, I knew it then too, but have you ever looked back on something you did in your past and wondered what the hell was I thinking? Well, this is one of those moments for me. And try as one might, you can't go back and change this stupid shit you've done. This is just something I'll have to live with. (sighs) Under the light of a full moon, I biked over to the cemetery. As conspicuous as the shovel protruding from my backpack looked, I managed to make it the whole way there without any trouble. After passing the black entrance gates, I laid my bike down and set out on foot. The graveyard was consumed by a late winter chill and an uneasy silence. My footsteps cut through the crisp night air, creating echoes that danced from headstone to headstone. I turned back from time to time and told myself it was to check for passing cars, but really I was afraid of ghosts lurking in the shadows. I never really believed in them, but being surrounded by hundreds of buried corpses in the middle of the night can do a number on your psyche. Growing more nervous with each passing moment, I trotted to the back of the cemetery in haste. My hurried pace was soon impeded by a fresh pile of white marble, upon which was etched the name Abigail Grovewood in a stunningly elegant font. This was it. This was Red's mother, right where he said she'd be. It was time to get down to business. In the hopes of saving at least a little bit of face, I will say that in this moment, what I was doing did feel deeply wrong on a moral level. I was about to vandalize and rob the grave of a deceased stranger. She didn't deserve this, and I very well knew it. How would I live with myself knowing that I disturbed her peaceful slumber? That question had a simple answer. The $10,000 in my pocket, that's how. I'd come too far to turn back, and I foolishly felt that this was the best way to further my financial endeavors. May God have mercy on my soul. The whole process only took about six and a half hours, a little less time than I'd expected. I suppose shoveling driveways every year prepared me for this pivotal yet strange moment in my life. After all was said and done, I looked at the coffin below and panted profusely. 
Despite being utterly exhausted, I had no time to waste. Daylight was on its way, and I had to get the hell out of Dodge before it shrouded the land of the dead. With how narrow the hole was, there was no way I could open up the coffin by conventional means. Adding insult to injury for poor Abigail, I had to use my shovel to break through the confines of her deathbed. Eventually, I desecrated the entire cover, allowing me ample room to retrieve the ring no matter which hand it was on. Victory was within reach. Before taking my prize, I looked at the woman I was about to steal from. The sight of her corpse was a grotesque one. She had only been buried for about a year, so her flesh had not fully decayed yet. It sat on her skin like batter on an uncooked drumstick. To top it off, maggots crawled around every inch of her surface. It was sickening. Just as I was about to reach past the flesh-eating bugs and grab Abigail's hand, something crazy happened. It was dark, that's for sure, but I swear I saw her begin to sit up in her grave. The movement was subtle, but it was enough to make me take notice. I was startled, but I took a few seconds for the gravity of the situation to sink in. When it did, I became so spooked that I hightailed it out of there without a second thought. And that is the gist of my late night adventure. Pretty lame, right? I went through all that grief just to chicken out at the last minute. Pathetic, I know, but you weren't there to experience it. As I climbed out of the hole, I thought I felt something brush against my ankle, perhaps Abigail's brittle hand attempting to pull me to my death. As I ran to my bike, I pictured her crawling up from her earthy tomb and chasing me down the road until I was inevitably captured. This was the single most frightening night of my life. I was scared to death, and I didn't care about Red or the $10,000. I just wanted to get the hell out of there. upon arriving home, logic set in, and I realized the error of my ways. It was entirely possible that Abigail was as still as stone, and I only thought I saw her move. What I felt against my ankle was more than likely maggots crawling at my pant leg. I had let the eerie atmosphere of the cemetery get the better of me, and I was now out ten grand and a good friend. Just my goddamn luck. I almost went back, but the sun was beginning to rise. I couldn't risk being spotted and going to jail, though that was a likely outcome regardless. Instead, I wallowed in self-pity and ignored Red's calls for a couple of days. Soon enough, my failed grave robbery was all over the news, but... Here's the thing. When the police discovered my handiwork, something was profoundly amiss. Abigail's casket was empty.